Uh, you should have an outline in front of you that says eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. Element seven, the letter O, small italicized C, pattern of five first steps into the kingdom of Christ. We are continuing with step three. So in that, and we're at the same time redoing the Baptized in the Holy Spirit series, which was uh, four chapters, although there was a chapter 2A and a chapter 2B, uh, the version we did in 2012. Many of you have listened to those audios and also had somebody from our leadership team walk you through them uh, prior to getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and so forth. We use those quite regularly, and we'll continue to use the shorter version to help people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I would encourage you to know a lot more than the shorter version. Uh, Right in the middle of this uh, series on the gospel, I actually, after element six and before element seven, I ended up doing a 12-part summary of the series because obviously you're not going to use, to help someone get come to Christ initially, you're not going to use a 150-part series, <laughs> unless they're very serious and uh, have a lot of time to listen to audios, but, uh, <laughs> which means they probably don't have a job or something. Uh, which might be another problem that needs addressed. But uh, maybe they need to go to school or get a job or something. But, um, you know, the reason we're doing this thorough of a series on the gospel is just uh, to try to help us counteract the tendency that began around the First Great Awakening in the late 1760s, really progressed very slowly until after the Civil War, then began to pick up speed, and just went into like a whole nother gear after World War II. And then with the mega church movement and the seeker sensitive movement of the 80s, it hit kind of like hyperspace or whatever. What is it in Star Wars? Like hyperspeed or whatever. Light speed. It went to light speed of reducing the gospel, reducing the gospel, reducing the gospel to try to get it down to what's the three or four little statements we can say that, that have enough gospel in them that hopefully, you know, people will pray the sinner's prayer and punch a ticket to heaven and go on living about their worldly, ungodly, immoral life <laughs> happily ever after and hope that they're going to heaven even though they haven't been delivered from their love of sin or the world or the flesh or the devil. Uh, so, you know, that is a whole problem and a whole trend that, that goes back hundreds of years and is on a, and we're trying to go an opposite direction of something that has a lot of momentum behind it. And it's affected every major branch of Christian thinking. Uh, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, all forms of Protestantism, which tend, tend to be divided. Protestantism tends to be divided into three major camps. The liberal modernist, mainstream Protestants, the evangelicals, and the more reformed thinkers. And all those uh, ways of thinking have been affected by the, by the tendency to reduce the gospel not just for simplicity's sake, but in many cases to leave out the hardest elements for your for the flesh to deal with, you know, to avoid the to avoid some of the the cost and, and the truth of it and the realities of it. And some of it's just because of playing things like pietism and and things that, that just take the message away and reduce the message to uh, to unreal unrealistic abstractions. So um this series is a little long, obviously. We're on element seven, and we're at 109 weeks. 
The, in the Roman numeral one of your outline, all uh, eight elements are listed. We spent four weeks on the introduction. Uh, we only actually did the attributes of God. We introduced that in one week, but we do recommend various books on the attributes of God. Edwin and Beth are doing a, a study of, the, of a book called The Knowledge of the Holy, which is about the attributes of God at their Monday uh, Bible study this, this summer. And... Um, you know, the attributes of man, that one of the things you want to make sure is that you're firmly biblically anchored in those things. They, they affect not only your understanding of the gospel and of your daily walk with Christ, but your understanding of our entire society. For instance, the whole pro-death, uh, pro-abortion movement, had, in order to have that philosophy, you have to first knock out the foundation that man is a special creation of God. And once, once you've reduced man to some kind of um, product of evolution or something, then uh, what's, who's to say you're more valuable than a mosquito? But, you know, but if man is a special creation of God, then every drunk in the gutter is worth hours of your time, lots of time, investment, whatever. Not that you should necessarily invest your time in this particular person or that particular person, but it's worth investing all of your time, first in God himself, and secondly, into his people, some of whom don't know they're his people yet. That's called evangelism. So, uh, you know, we're going at these things a little bit more deeply so that we can understand that the gospel is something we lived by. The historical narrative of Israel and the warnings of eternal cosmic judgment, those things are neglected completely in the gospel today. Nobody has those points at all. There's one book I've been able to find, um, which we use, um, Scott McKnight's book called uh, The King Jesus Gospel that brings out this issue of the historical narrative of Israel. Um, but not, not as completely or as well as he could, could or should. And, uh, you, you know, eternal cosmic judgment, nobody speaks of judgment anymore. In fact, we even Bible-believing Christians make fun of people who talk about wrath, judgment, or so forth. Um, all, almost every manifestation of Eastern Orthodoxy today has denies that there even is an anger of God or a wrath of God or any kind of justice sight of God. And, uh, of course, the mainstream Protestants also reject that, as do many Roman Catholics. So... You know, so these things are uh, these things are issues that you that actually affect where you work, how you live, how you treat people. If you see someone who's always respectable of other people, who doesn't ever have road rage, who who uh, always lets the person go in front of them in Kroger's or stops to help the late older lady unpack her things or whatever, usually you've seen someone that has some compass that man is valuable. So forth. All right, so we, uh, we spent, uh, I forget, about five weeks on the Ten Commandments. Uh, we spent uh, 30 weeks on Jesus Christ, the only mediator, and that, that 30 weeks is really kind of a good introductory class if you want to study what's called Christology, which goes along with our, that's one of the eight units in our uh, systematic theology class. Uh, then we took uh, Receiving Jesus Christ, and we looked at that for 24 weeks. 
a lot of breakdown happens there. A lot of what we mean by receiving Jesus Christ has been reduced. When you throw in words like repentance, repentance not so popular anymore. Conviction of sins, uh, we kind of try to avoid that part of it. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, your renunciation, most people probably wouldn't know what that means. In our, I, I would say more, the majority of people in our culture would probably know, not know what it means to renounce something. So, and if they do, they think of it maybe as like I renounced my economic inheritance or something. You know, I, I renounced my parents, but uh, or something like that. Um, so, anyway. Uh, we looked at, uh, so we're now we're on the, the first five steps of entering the kingdom. They are listed in Roman numeral 2A of your outline there. The third one called Baptizing the Holy Spirit, we're doing a series on that at the, and weaving that into the seven essential series. So on the Baptizing the Holy Spirit series, again, the 2012 version was just five messages in four chapters because we had a 2A and a 2B. This version, we are now on the 23rd lesson in chapter, we are on chapter 13, because of course chapter 12 had A, B, C, and D, and so forth, and we're now up to chapter 13, D. Of, um, and in chapter 13, what we began three weeks ago, um, that would be the transition in the old series into what would be uh, chapter uh, 4 of the old series, how to impart or pray for people to get baptized in the Spirit, or how to receive uh, the baptism in the Spirit. Uh, in in um, that one uh, was equivalent to chapter four, and so far there was A, B, C, and D in chapter four in the old one. So far, we're just doing A for the this is our fourth week on what what used to be chapter four A, uh, what it means to uh, the, the phrase that the promise, and that Jesus specifically tells us that the promise is for you and your children. Well, Peter says that Jesus tells us the promise. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the promise of the Father, right? And then Peter assures the, the Pentecost crowd that this promise that they're experiencing, seeing these 120 people with tongues of fire and a mighty wind and all speaking in tongues, that this promise is for you, it's for your children, which is Bible speak, that's the Bible's, that's the end of cessationism right there. If you understand how to read the Bible and how the Bible writes within its own culture, what he's saying is this is for all generations. It's for you and your seed, even if they're a hundred generations away from you. It's for, it's for all that proceed from your spiritual seed. All those who get drafted into this one seed of Christ who was Abraham's promised seed, and he was the promised seed of David, and and so forth, and he was the the new Adam to replace it, and so forth. If you if you get drafted into Christ, that promise of the baptism in the Spirit is for you and your children. It's for all who are far off, and just in case there's any confusion, it's for as many as the Lord our God shall call to Himself. The baptism in the Spirit is is practiced in the Scripture. And the gifts of the Spirit as, as practiced in the Scripture will end when God stops calling people to himself, which will, will actually happen at the final coming of Christ. So I've always thought some of the escapist versions of eschatology are quite ironic 
because they all include that the church is going to be raptured out of here so we don't have to face any hardship or trials or turmoils or tribulations. However, people are still going to be coming to Christ. It's like, okay, so like the battle's still going to be going on, but we're going to quit. <laughs> like, you know, we're going to say, well, I've had enough fighting. I'm going to, I'm going to go to get it to get air conditioned offense with a recliner and, <laughs> and hide out. I, I've always thought that was so funny that, that, you know, I mean, the whole point of what, you know, like if God really didn't want you to have an ongoing seeking of God and, and a being conformed to the gospel and by grace becoming more Christ-like every day, which includes being part of Christ's family, his body, and, and being more integrated completely into the people of God, and it includes being more completely involved in the mission of God. If God didn't want that for his children, then we should just have like an altar call with someone who's, who comes behind and just shoots everyone who receives the Christ so no one will ever backslide. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that would be the logic of today's mentality. Like, God didn't re have you receive the sinner's prayer. I received the sinner's prayer to Jesus' country. Uh, you know, like, he didn't have you do that so you could uh, just hold, you know, continue to live your way by 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 the world, the flesh, and the devil, and and so forth. And you know, we see it all the time. Like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, whom those who uh, the the world cannot receive, in John fourteen twenty six, because to receive the Holy Spirit, you have to leave the world, in the sense that you have to have decided that you're going to be part of His family, His kingdom living under Father's ways by his word, and that the spirit and, and center of your life is going to be a God-pleaser and a God-chaser and a God-seeker and so forth. And that that is the Holy Spirit is for as many as the Lord our God calls to himself that way. And the, the gospel is calling you to God in total dedication, in total deliverance from all idols and every form of man's idolatry. In all things that you would you would put before the lordship of Jesus Christ in your heart, your motivations, your attitudes, your time commitments, your financial priorities, your everything, how you talk, who you speak to, what kind of tone you talk with, God wants to rule your heart in every which way. He's calling you literally to himself. All right, so... Uh, a few weeks ago, we I didn't update that where it says last two weeks. It actually should have said last three weeks there on Roman numeral, huh, which I see Microsoft. It, it automatically reformats things the way it wants. So that should be Roman numeral three. You have to kind of keep catching those and overriding them to use Microsoft Word. It's a, it's a demonic program. But uh, <laughs> don't, don't quote me on that. But... Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, you know, uh, they have this manipulation control freak thing. They don't want you to be able to do what you want to do with it. But uh, anyway, flipping over, we looked at how, uh, the last couple of weeks, we looked at how all the promises of God uh, are one. Because there's one God, one Bible, one author, one word, one purpose, one eternal decree, one plan, there's no, like, God doesn't have a plan B. I often recommend to people, like, when you're approaching things like your vocational calling and schooling or what have you, 
Always have a plan A. Be sure plan B is ready to go. <laughs> you, you might need plan B. Now, walking in covenant with God is actually when you, that, that means to shoot plan B. That, you know, when you get married, you don't have any more plan Bs. You know, I, I used to uh, tease, you know, when, when you're a single sister, you can have a list of your five favorite guys. <laughs> as soon as you uh, start uh, courting and so forth, that list has to become one. <laughs> you know, and uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, all covenants are exclusive. And all communities are exclusive, whether they're worldly communities uh, uh, politically, social, economic issues, moral issues, all communities exclude people outside their community. Whether you're talking uh, Christian communities, Buddhist, the Gay Lesbian Alliance, all communities have standards for entry and standards for being a member in good standing. So... Um, and that's as it should be. That's because that's because the one covenant-making, covenant-keeping, family-making God created it that way. And to become a Christian in, in, is to become part of his family. This kind of modern idea that you can ask Jesus into your heart, wait to go to heaven, but you want nothing to do with his way of life or his church or commitment thereof, like I'm going to float between my five favorite churches. Like today, it's very common for people to, well, this is my worship church. These people really love to worship, and I go there when I need to worship more. This is my teaching church. This is my leave-me-alone church. And <laughs> this is my, you can pick your level of how what it means to follow Jesus church. <laughs> Everyone's looking for that church. you know. <laughs> so forth. So, um, so we, as we get into this word promise, um, the Greek word hasas is used, and we're on the uh, start of the back page. In, uh, in the um, ESV, it's uh, translated all. It's also used that way in all versions of the King James, both the old King James, the authorized King James, the new King James, the 21st century King James. They now have... Um, it uh, was the Geneva Bible translated it that way, and the Geneva Bible was kind of the Bible of the Protestant Reformation. Many people still think it's the best translation today. There's, you definitely get some followers of the Geneva Bible. It's like, that's the one you ought to have. Uh, Common English Bible, which is one of, uh, um, a, a, not a, a dynamic equivalence made by kind of a liberal group of uh, mainstream Protestants, and but surprisingly good considering some of the people. Some people say we well, should never use that one because who made it? But it's actually pretty not too bad uh, if you for a dynamic equivalence that is. And uh, all of them say all. New American Standard says as many as. New English translation says everyone, as does Holman Christian Standard Bible. NIV says no matter how many. The young, Wycliffe said, why how many ever be? <laughs> uh, different rules of English back then. So uh, uh, much of the King James was based on Wycliffe, though, by the way. It's a, by, by the way, you should know a little bit about the history of the English Bible and translations and how they're made. And you should definitely know the difference between a literal equivalence and a dynamic equivalence and a paraphrase. If you don't know what that stuff means and you've been around Grace Christian Fellowship more than a few weeks, you're probably not paying attention or no one's discipling you because that would be something we'd cover in one of our first meetings. And you w would want to know 
not just those three categories of translations, but a little of the history thereof. Because if you do, when you're studying more seriously, even if you don't get into the Greek much, you can kind of say, okay, well, this kind of thinking translates it this way. And so and, uh, and it can be very useful. So, uh, again, NET says everyone, NIV, no matter how many, and uh, uh, as as uh, that's a typo, should not as man as are. As many as are is the Young's literal in the, in the classified, the, the old amplified. How many soever be is the uh, American Standard Version, and so forth. So the, the point, point of, uh, instead of getting into the Greek word, the, 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 you know, the, it's a rich Greek word, I would encourage you to consider. Uh, if you don't know how to use blue letter a Bible, that's a really easy thing to learn. There's probably around 20 to 30 guys in our church that are that use it a lot, and uh, anyone from Sam Chen Poon to to uh, uh, John Weiss to uh, Daniel Williams, uh, you know, lot on Vesh. Uh, lots of guys could show you how to use it in a few minutes if you or and it's actually pretty easy to figure figure out for yourself. But with with that, you can do some word studies of both. Uh, how other versions translate it, which is and how, and how the uh, what the Greek is, what uh, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance defines the Greek, what Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words has to say about it, and what Thayer's Lexicon. That's all at your fingertips really quickly. And if you don't know what a lexicon is, that's beyond our scope today. But you should know. It's kind of a historical dictionary, and uh, and and really just a little. Br this was a word that I thought 30 seconds in a lexicon on this word helps a lot to understand why it's rendered that many ways that all say the same thing virtually, but with just teeny little nuances. Then after it says as many as or all that or everyone of the promises, the Greek word promise there is, tell me how to say it again, epineglia, epangalia, right. <laughs> As, as the innocent. Apongalia. <laughs> uh, but Apongalia has to do with down payments or pledges. Hopefully we're all in faith. You know, I always tell young ladies, uh, make sure with that, will you marry me? There's a very nice engagement ring. But what's more important than the, I know like the tendency is to go, oh, the diamonds are so cute and so forth. What, what you should really know is what was his ability to buy that ring and how did he have to pay for it? <laughs> Cash or credit? Uh, you know. Because uh, in Hebrew biblical culture, uh, it was required of the, of the would-be suitor that he had an equivalent of three years' income saved in order to, uh, for the father-in-law, which actually the father-in-law, the, the Hebrew word means circumciser, which uh, means that he knew you intimately enough to know if you were dedicated to God or not. Uh, it's, a, it's a metaphorical word. Uh, doesn't mean that he actually did a biological examination. It means that he knew the condition of your heart and your character and your way of life and your means, means of uh, providing an income, and he didn't sign off and say yes until you were a man of God. That's what it, the Hebrew word for father-in-law means. <laughs> so um, wouldn't that be, you know, the, the, in other words, the, you know, we have this... Uh, 
who gives this woman tradition, but even more importantly, you, you go talk to her father when you want to get betrothed or so forth. We would do well sometimes if, if there were godly families. Often there's not. But if there were godly families and so forth, that would be a wonderful uh, thing to respect because, you know, the, uh, as, the, uh, as I'm often want to say, love is blind, deaf, dumb, and stupid. And, uh, <laughs> and so having some other eyes discerning are these mature people of good character who are going to do you well is so, so worth it. Now, sometimes the nature of the church and New Testament redemption, sometimes you're going to have to find that spiritual fatherhood and that spiritual family in the church. Sometimes your natural family isn't going to be the right source for that. It's wonderful when you get a chance, you know, those occasions where you get a natural family. You know, I was lucky enough that my parents came to Christ and came far enough in Christ with the baptism in the Spirit and deliverance and so forth that they could help me get started a little bit. But they didn't go far enough that, you know, that they could keep, you know, within less than a year I was being discipled by a much more mature community of Christians and so forth. And thank God that I was because they, you can only go as far as the people who are discipling you have gone. Right? All right, so upon Galia uh, is a word that, that has to do with all the announcements of God, all the plans of God, as he, but he gives them in pledge form. Remember, he promised David that of his seed, there would always be someone to rule the house of Israel, right? He promised Abraham that in his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of God's purposes, all of his plan are discernible through the royal heads, the regal heads of his covenant purposes. So that's why, like, if you uh, go through our Restoration of Biblical Christianity series in the, in the uh, section uh, that we take uh, two or three months to go through on covenant, you, we look at eight essential aspects of every biblical covenant, and we look at eight uh, royal head covenants in the Bible. Every covenant of the Bible has a regal head as the, as the federal representative head. So there's the, you know, the covenant of Adam, the covenant of Noah, on through Abraham and so forth. And every covenant has a federal head. The new covenant has the federal head of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so, and he becomes the fulfillment of all the covenants. He's the promised seed to Abraham. He's the promise, you know, to, to Noah, to David, uh, all the way through. Hopefully we know all that by now. Uh, so, we looked at uh, a few weeks ago uh, why it's important to learn how to read the Bible as one book from one author and, and identify major themes. We listed, there's a couple books listed here on the outline. Uh, the, the one in bold print is on our foundational book list, and it's what we call our book of the year here at Grace Christian Fellowship. It will introduce you to how to read the Bible on a kind of level that, that if you graduated from high school, you probably can should be able to understand it. Um, a lot of the books, the other two books, you probably would need to be a f fairly good reader. To, to but, but the way you become a good reader is to read books that are too difficult for you <laughs> and uh, use a dictionary <laughs> and, uh, and other tools. Uh, so um, I would highly recommend those other books listed there. And uh, John and Emily have actually walked 
uh, several couples through a house for my name and I think a few single people. Uh, as you know, those of you who went to Dominion Academy, they use that book for their Old Testament survey class. And it's, uh, it's just a little bit more difficult than God's big picture, which is very elementary. All right, so we did all that the last few weeks. With the remaining time today, I hope to get into today's message. I'm, I'm just trying to focus on the phrase that, that has been my goal for four weeks to get to, Pentecost, the pinnacle, plenitude, and pledge of all God's purposes, plans, or promises. Now, for the words purposes, plans, and promises, put a S at the end in brackets because all of God's promises are one promise. All of God's plans are one plan. All of God's purposes are one purpose. Somebody like that. <laughs> was that Susan? She know. She know. She, no, no, it wasn't Susan. Who's back there? They like uh, Elijah. He's he's, pro, he's prophesying to the to, about the purposes of God, Call, calling us back to covenant faithfulness. All right. So, uh, so let's get into um, to this. In uh, let's look at Second Corinthians. Oh well, let's let's start with uh, the word Pentecost. By Pentecost, I'm not just referring to Pentecost Sunday, but to the ongoing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because from an eternal perspective, what happens and happens is this. All of God's purposes go back to one purpose, to have a people for his own possession, and that people would become his sanctuary, his temple, as perfectly as the realm of heaven is. So he created the earth and he created a people under Adam, the descendants of whom were supposed to fill the earth with his glory the way heaven is filled with his glory, where there's no need of a light there because the Lamb of God himself is their light. Uh, Of course, every federal head of the Bible up until Christ fell in one measure or another from from that calling, right? So, but God's plan has always been to have a people that are his temple. And that's why this radically individualistic punch a ticket to do, and nobody, you know, you can't work with people and you, you're always critical of every other advice and, you, you know, it, it doesn't work because it wasn't meant to. You cannot be healthy spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally if you're not healthy in covenant with the right kind of people under authority of, of, of plurality of elders, part of a community way of life, so forth, you, God never meant for you to be healthy by yourself. So Pentecost is actually that series of outpourings that started with 120 people who were told to wait and not to start their mission until they were empowered. We go off, you know, like we, the first thing we do with young Christians today is we don't, instead of equipping them with scriptural knowledge and training and what, discipling their character, make sh- making sure they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they start going through a process where they learn to walk in the power by the Holy Spirit of the power of Christ's resurrection as a way of life, 
we send them off, you know, half cocked, like cutting a chicken's head off and let them run through the, <laughs> you know, after you cut the chicken's head off, they run through the barnyard. It, it's it's kind of like the, a lot of Christians are living that way these days. They're just like running around with the mission with no training, no empowering, no teamwork, you know, doing their own thing. So Pentecost involves uh, all 120 people. All of them had tongues of fire. All of them had a mighty wind. All of them spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And all of them stood up together. Now Peter stood up as their federal head and gave the first speech. But they all began to work toward the mission of God when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit as one people. So... Pentecost, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. The reason there's so much spiritual warfare against you getting baptized in the Holy Spirit or if you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, staying regularly filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit is because, the you, first of all, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And no one can live what God's called them to do except by the Holy Spirit working together as a body. You cannot do this Christian life any other way. So all of Satan's in, uh, efforts in your life is to keep you isolated. Proverbs 18, he who seeks, separates himself seeks his own desire and quarrels against all strong wisdom or all sound wisdom in the translation. Uh, Pentecost causes you to begin to see the one body of Christ in, in the, and so forth. One of the things that will happen, if you stay filled with God's Spirit regularly and using your prayer language is one means to do that, as you, as you use the means of God's grace to stay filled with the Spirit, you will never be satisfied with anything less than a very intimate, spiritual, living, dynamic relationship with God himself and with the people God's called you to walk to. Now, there's boundaries. You have a different kind of intimacy, obviously, in marriage than you have with everyone else. You have a different kind of intimacy with your kids. Uh, there's, there's people who are just Christian friends, and there's people you're accountable to and accountable for. You know, if you don't know, like, this is the person who's my main discipler, and these are the people who are my main community of Christians, then you're, you're missing this one of the starting spots. That would be like going to school without any clothes on uh, and no books and not, not having paid the tuition. <laughs> and discover when you go to start the car that you don't have any gas or gas money. But, <laughs> you know, you need some certain things to get started, one of which is the baptism in the Spirit. That's, that's what you get at the starting point. Okay, so Pentecost, uh, the, I've listed there again the five examples. They were covered in chapters 12a through 12e. Um, and you should kind of look at them and the lessons from them and understand all those lessons uh, pretty well. Pinnacle, the reason I chose that word is uh, it means the highest or culminating point. Now, in Matthew and Luke, both... Matthew chapter 4 and, and Luke chapter 4, this is really deep, now follow this. Both of them follow Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3, respectively. Whoa, <laughs> that's intense. Now, uh, and in chapter 3, uh, Jesus 
presents himself to John the Baptist to be baptized and says, and John the Baptist protests and says, I'm the one that needs baptized by you. What's the deal here? Like, you got this backwards, Jesus. Jesus said it's permitted at this time because God right now through, through the prophet John is calling uh, all of God's people to repent, to renounce their sinful ways, to, to affirm his lordship again, to confess their sins and so forth. And all of this is a prefiguring or pre-shadowing of, of uh, Christian water baptism, right? So um, which, you know, which was kind of wrapped, you know, Christian water, John's baptism became Christian water baptism, kind of rolls right into it. So um, right after Jesus is baptized, there's no, this is, you know, not rocket science, the pattern, we looked at the pattern of Jesus, I think, in chapter 11. Jesus, who was always filled with the Holy Spirit from all eternity, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born by the Holy Spirit, who was so full of the Holy Spirit at age 12 that, that the uh, uh, Sanhedrin in, in the temple in Jerusalem could not cope with his questions or the degree of his wisdom already by age 12. That same Jesus receives a different measure, a better measure, a fuller measure, you might say, of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And the Spirit does what he always does. Many, many people actually lose their way shortly after getting water baptized if they don't stay in fellowship. The number one goal Satan will have is to get you to have some offense in your heart or some reasoning in your mind for why you don't need to be a part of a community and under authority and why you call the shots and no one else helps you. Right? Because, and so Jesus was led by the Spirit, not by the devil, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? Then Matthew and, and Mark, or Matthew and Luke both give us in chapter 4 the three temptations that Jesus faced. Now Luke changes the order of number 2 and 3 from Matthew, but they're the same temptations in either case, in both of them, it says that the devil took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. Now, that's important because what it's saying, the Bible speak, you always have to know the Bible's whole story to get any of the story. The, the, it wasn't just that he took him to like the World Trade Center towers. In Hebrew thinking, God's temple is a foreshadowing of what we are today, the, the people of God. And the pinnacle of the temple, as they would see it, was the center of the universe. And he's basically saying, this is, this is as close as me as a creature can take you to, to, to the throne of God himself. And if you'll change who's running the show, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms and all this world because they're destined to be ruled from the king who's at the pinnacle of the temple. Okay? So when the baptism in the Spirit is actually kind of the target point of all of God's promises. Everything about, like today in evangelical circles, you'll hear that the whole Bible is about God's plan of redemption. But actually, the whole, that is a subset of God's bigger kingdom plans. He, yes, you have to enter his kingdom people through re, 
the covenant of redemption through the gospel of grace. But that's because he wants to make you sons and daughters. And in, 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 that's why we did a whole uh, teaching on the concept of adoption biblically, because adoption was the way you passed on the covenant to the next generation. So um, God adopts you into his family so that you will become able to say like Jesus, did you not know I had to be about my father's business? You should all memorize that. So Logan calls you, hey, what you doing? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? <laughs> okay, can you get, can you get more specific? <laughs> are, are you watching the game tonight? <laughs> Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Okay. Did you ever get those leaves raked? Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so, pinnacle is a very important word there. Um, very important. It's the apex or the summit. You know, there's a, there's a county uh, where Akron, Ohio is called Summit County because anything north of that, the water flows into Lake Erie. Anything south of that, it flows down to the Ohio River eventually. And, uh, and one ends up in the northern Atlantic, the other ends up in the Gulf of Mexico. And so where the zenith is is actually quite important in your life. And the pinnacle... The baptism in the Spirit is taking you to the zenith to get you over to the start on to get you to the right side of the hill, so to speak. So that you're walking in a power of the power of the age to come, not by the powers available to this world and, and, and worldly people. So that your your reality becomes a whole different reality. Not just theoretically, but in your everyday experience. Very important. Plenitude. Plenitude means the condition of being full or complete. Fullness and quantity, measure, degree, and abundance. Now, that's why actually the Pentecostals called it the full gospel. Now, that's probably not a, as good a term as should be thought of because there was a lot of reduced gospel that went into that full gospel. But um, the truth of the matter is God right from the beginning, like with the prodigal son, you know, the, when the prodigal son came back, before he ever could con finish confessing his sins, as he's getting reconciled to his father, he puts uh, a ring on him signifying belonging, uh, sandals signifying cleansing, a robe signifying, uh, you know, the garments of worthiness, and throws a feast for him, right? All of that ha happens at the beginning of your Christian life. And so when God, you know, God doesn't baptize people in the spirit who are spiritually mature. He baptizes people in the spirit who have decided, I'm not going to walk my way anymore. It's all, all, there has to be one transaction that's happened to get baptized in the spirit. I'm no longer going to be the Lord. And I'm going to take seriously his being the Lord. That's really important. Um, and it's, it's a matter of the condition of your heart. Now, um, God's goal is not just to get you to pray a sinner's prayer, but to fill you with the spirit of his kingdom 
in the same way that heaven is filled with the permeated by the presence of God so that you can be part of his temple and so that you can be filled and refilled and refilled and refilled and refilled again. As we always point out, the people in Acts 4, it says after they were done praying, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And all the people who were at that prayer meeting were the same people who got filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. So they, they got refilled. Now let's look at the word pledge. Pledge is down payment, guarantee, earnest money, etc. And so there's a few verses that use 2 Corinthians, two verses in Ephesians that use the words pledge and use the word sealed. Now, some of you maybe know enough about old-fashioned cultures to know that people used to have a family seal. And when you sent, uh, when you sent a, a letter, you would drip some candle wax on the, on the letter and stamp it with your seal. Men often wore them in their ring. And uh, so if, if, you know, if John Luke wanted to say, hey, do I have permission to tell these people that to charge this much money to your account, I might, uh, you know, take the shopping list that he has and stamp it with the seal. And they go, nah, you know, okay, now he's, that's really what happens to Jesus. When Jesus gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, he starts on his mission to be about his father's business. And that's why God speaks over him and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Because in Hebrew culture, when the son or daughter became uh, old enough and involved in the family business enough, that now you were able to make binding decisions for the business, then you, you, were, you were sealed and, you, and your father would publicly declare, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And from now on, when he comes into town, he doesn't need me to be with him anymore to buy a load of lumber or whatever the family needs. Now he's representing my interest. God, the baptism in the Spirit is supposed to empower you to begin to represent God in everything you do. That's why God, you can't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and walk your own way because they're incompatible. You'll have this power that is about redeeming the whole world in competition with a power that's about you and your goals and your entertainment and your little, little pleasures and your little petty life. And God wants you to be about big cosmic things from now on. You're no longer allowed to be a child. Now you must grow up and become a man or a woman. And you must put away childish things. Or you can't wear that ring. So when you sealed something, they still do that, and in, 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 uh, there's still, like, uh, my wife's a notary for the state of Ohio, and she has a little uh, thing she stamps things with, a seal, right? And some of you guys use her when you buy cars and stuff like that. And a lot of, uh, so if you want a little side business, Catherine doesn't charge people in the church or anything, but you can always become a notary and charge five bucks, to, ten bucks to sign that, you know. People's titles or whatever. I think uh, at, the, at the banks, a lot of banks will charge a fee for that, right? Some of you may, it depends on if you're a customer there or something. What's that? 
Yeah, not if you're a customer usually. But I remember one time when I had you notarize some documents, even though we'd been friends for many years, you still had to see my driver's license and all that stuff because it's, you're, it's, it's a very important thing. to when you're, you're basically sealing that this really is Greg Weiss signing this. And I'm like, Terry, you've known me for like 10 years. <laughs> like, who, but who really is in that box? No. <laughs> Let me see you some ID, buddy. <laughs> no, he did like, because he, he's supposed to, right? I remember one time that he's like, let me see your driver's license number. You've got to be kidding me, really. Uh, he wanted to know if I was really 18. No. <laughs> I was flattered. Um, no, just kidding. Um, so it's, it, it's, that's a super important con- concept. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's a foretaste of the powers of the age to come, Hebrews 10, 29. You're actually taking a drink of the real thing for the first time. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm finally drinking at the right well. You've drank from many wells before that were not the right well. And uh, we will actually pick this whole subject up one more week because... Uh, this is, a, I hope we understand this. This is a huge deal. This is not some little thing. This, uh, all these P words, I, 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 you know, that's like popular in sermons nowadays, and I almost never do it. But I decided to do it on this one because uh, every one of them is really important. All the promises of God flow through Christ, Abraham, all the way back. They all flow through the, the cross through the resurrection, through the ascension, through the coronation of Christ, all of them throw all the way through to God baptizing you into the Holy Spirit and into a purpose and call and plan of God for your life as part of the people of God. Amen.